So uh, I want to give you, just let you guys know how excited I am that you're all here. There's only 12 people registered online, which just tells me the internet, maybe it's be, you know, on its way out. So I don't know what the next hip thing is. Carrier pigeons are maybe coming back. And it's so good to see a room full of parents. How many are uh, ch parents of children? Like you have a child in your house from like birth through like fifth grade. It's in your house. There's one of them. All right. Who has a junior higher in their house? Who has a high schooler in their house? Who can't wait to get their high schooler out of their house? Yeah, there you go. So there's a little pastor humor for you. Thank you for laughing at that. Um, you know, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is because we are going to be launching a whole arm of junior high ministry for care and recovery. Uh, last year, we saw just tragedy happen in junior high, and we saw that we were not prepared to care for students. And parents weren't prepared. There's a lot of questions. What do we do? How do we talk to our kid? And it started a whole conversation and a whole prayer and a whole journey of what does it look like for junior high. And we were partnering with care and recovery for something incredible. That's going to be rolling out in February with the start of our care recovery groups that will happen in the new community center on divorce. And then there will be another one we're doing on grief. And there's another one we're going to be doing on bullying. And it all actually starts tonight with this. The three circles is the foundation that we've laid for every single junior high and high school volunteer to learn how to have these kind of conversations with your kids. So we thought it would be really important to start that conversation with you, our parents, letting you know of this great tool that we utilize here at Mariners to have great conversations with your kids. So this is what we're going to do. Buddy's going to come up. We're going to do a whole deal. If you are a I don't want to talk to people people, then you're going to be miserable tonight because we're going to be doing actual role playing with the people at our table over some of the things that Buddy's going to be teaching us tonight because if we don't learn how to do it, then we're not going to be able to do it at home. So we're going to learn how to do it and then we're going to get up for some Q&A at the very end. It's going to be awesome. There's a sheet in front of you on the back is a whole page to take notes because if if you like me, you're like taking notes. And uh, give a big round of applause for our friend, Buddy Mendez. Thank you, Justin. So the question that you know we're thinking about is how do we talk to our kids uh, when they're facing issues, various kinds of issues? Maybe it's bullying, maybe it's divorce, uh, maybe they're grieving a loss, maybe they're having a friend issue, a relational issue uh, that they're struggling with. How do we talk to them? And so I've already talked to the staff, the life group leaders and the junior high staff and the high school staff about a uh, process that I developed called the three circles. And this is something that I teach in my principles of counseling class at Concordia. And uh, I went into it pretty much in depth uh, with those folks that are going to be on the front lines talking to your kids at small groups and, and junior high ministry, high school ministry and whatnot. But I did want to give you as parents kind of a feel for what it is I'm sharing with them. So we'll just uh, we'll dip into this idea of the three circles a little bit tonight. We'll skip a few things, but I think it'll be enough of a taste to where you can get a feel for what it is we're talking about. So the idea is that no matter what issue our kid comes to us with, uh, we have a model that we can use to kind of talk to them. We can kind of memorize in our mind uh, these three circles. So... Before I get into the three circles, I do want to say there, there are some definite things that we can do to shut down our kids <laughs> that we want to avoid. Okay, so I want to start with that. What do we do to shut them down? And then I'll talk about how do we get them to open up. Okay, so the three things that, and, and this is not on your sheet, so you can write it in your notes if you want. But the three things that I, I think about that shut kids down, number one is we minimize the issue. We minimize the issue. And the truth is, we may think it's not that big of a deal as parents. But if it's a big deal to our kid, it's a big deal. And we want to treat it 
as such. So I remember when uh, Blake had two of his friends moving from Quail Hill, where we live in Irvine, uh, to Corona, Corona Del Mar, and they were going to be going to Corona Del Mar uh, instead of Rancho San Joaquin, where Blake went when he was going into the seventh grade. I didn't think it was that big of a deal for Blake. I thought Blake had plenty of friends. He would, he would get through it very well. This uh, event hit him so hard. I've, I've never seen my son cry over an issue. And one night he was being particularly argumentative and kind of surly and a little irritable. And this is what kids do when uh, they're struggling with something is they'll, we call it acting out, right? So he was a little, um, you know, argumentative, a little combative. And I said, what's wrong with you? you you're acting so different. You know, that, that you don't want to do that. Uh, and um, you don't understand, Dad. I said, what? You, you don't think it's important what's happening to me. And I'm like, what's happening to you? Two of my best friends are moving. They're going to a different school. I don't know who I'm going to have lunch with. I don't know who I'm going to hang out with. I don't want to be alone, you know? And, and then he just starts crying. And, and I'm ashamed to say he had tried to talk to me about this several times before. But I honestly kind of idealized Blake, I guess, and thought he, he could just handle it a lot better than he was. And so fortunately, um, I guess he felt safe enough to do that. And then we got into the, the, uh, a very good conversation where I basically went through the three circles with him on it. So don't minimize uh, the issue. The second thing you want to avoid is underreacting or overreacting to the issue. What do I mean by that? Um, there are going to be times where your kid's going to be talking about something and they're going to want a bigger reaction out of you than you're giving, you know, like I got a, I got a, a, an A on my test and you might underreact according to your kid. Oh, that's great. Keep up the good work. And they're like, is that it? You know, <laughs> and they want you to get more excited than you really got about whatever it is they're sharing. Um, the other thing is that you may overreact. Like they might say, um, I got a, I had to sit at the uh, bench today during recess or something. And you, what? What happened? Did you get in? You did you get in trouble? You know, and you overreact to it. And they're like, it happens. You know, I I, I was late. Um, I'm sorry. You know, you don't have to get all upset about it. And so, whether you, it's difficult because whether you're underreacting or overreacting really depends on the kid. It's very kid-specific. It really has a lot to do with what they ascribe, the meaning that they ascribe to your reaction. So for one kid, the same reaction may be an underreaction, and for another kid, it may be an overreaction. Does that make sense? Parenting is not easy, right? So you got to know your kid really well, and then you want to have a reaction that's right in that sweet spot of not underreacting or overreacting. It's kind of hard, but I, I just want you to shoot for that. Okay, and then the third thing that shuts them down is advice giving, problem solving, uh, lecturing, all that stuff shuts them down. And so, I mean, there's a time to teach your kids uh, all the wisdom that you've accumulated through the years, but when they come to you with an issue, that's usually not a good time to do it, uh, especially if it's not solicited by them. I mean, if they say, what do you think I should do? Or can you give me some advice? Which a lot of times they don't say. 
you, you certainly can give them advice then if they solicit it. But a lot of times they just want to connect. They just want to be comforted in the midst of their pain. They just want to know that you're there for them, right? And that's not a kid thing. That's a human thing. There's a lot of times when we talk to our spouse, we don't want them to tell us, well, you should do this. You need to do that. Why didn't you think of this? We just want them to listen and understand, and we just want them to comfort and support and connect. So a big misconception about counselors like me is that we're like this wise guy that sits up on a hill and somebody comes up the hill and says, what shall I do, Dr. Mendez? You know, I don't know. Uh, um, what do you think? You know, but we rather, it's not so much that I know all these things that people should be doing to change their circumstances. It's just that I know how to be with people in a compassionate way, in an understanding way, in the midst of their circumstances. And you cannot underestimate the value of connecting with your kid. It's huge. If you can connect well with your kids, your kids will be able to navigate um, all the hardships and issues in life that they'll face so much easier if they have a firm, strong connection with you. And the connection is built through going through these three circles. Okay, I really believe that if you go through these three circles, you'll build a connection with your kids. So, so what are the three circles all about? Um, before I get into the three circles, I do want to talk about these micro skills because these are little skills. It says counseling micro skills in the bottom, on the right there. These are little skills that you can go, uh, that you can use as you move through the three circles that will help you avoid problem solving, advice giving, lecturing, minimizing, and so forth. So really quickly, and, and I, again, I, I go into these a lot more in depth with, um, with the staff, but, you know, attending, paying close attention, not being distracted. An encourager is basically just a head nod or, mm-hmm, you know, letting them know you're with them. It encourages them to keep talking. That's why they're called encouragers. Asking good open-ended questions like what, why, and how questions. Trying to avoid those closed-ended questions like do you or is it or are you where they could just answer yes or no. An open-ended question will get them to uh, say more. And then reflecting content and feeling. You know, what I hear you saying is this, and you summarize what you hear them saying, or what, what I hear you, uh, it sounds like you're feeling scared, or it sounds like you're feeling hurt, or something like that. Focusing is uh, trying to stay on one issue at a time. Uh, summarizing is kind of a giant reflection of content where you summarize everything that's been said so far. A directive is simply... Um, saying to your child, tell me more about blank. Tell me more about uh, your friend. Tell me more about how much it hurts. Tell me more about what's, uh, why this bothers you so much. So it's just it's directing them to tell you more about what the issue is. Self-disclosure, and um, if you can keep it concise and it's relevant to what they're going through, uh, if it's not relevant, don't self-disclose. Logical consequences, if then, you know, like if you don't tell him, that he uh, hurt your feelings, he won't know that he hurt your feelings. It's an if-then statement. And then a question to elicit meaning is just simply, what does that mean to you? That's an important question. And then reflecting is, okay, so it sounds like this is what it means. And then interpretation is just summarizing internal conflicts. A lot of, a lot of people have internal conflicts. Uh, part of them wants to do this, a part of them wants to do that. And we'll talk about that in the uh, circles. And then feedback is kind of sharing, you know, it seems to me, like you're really sad, or it seems to me like this is very confusing. You're sharing with them what you see. You say what you see in them. People love it when you see them, when they're known, when uh, you recognize them. Uh, they love to be recognized. Kids love to be recognized. Um, and then information. If there's if there's information that you can 
give them that might help them with their situation. Okay, so let's do the three circles. The first circle, get the story. Get the whole story, not half the story, the whole story. Usually when a kid's got a dilemma, they've got an issue, they've got a problem, there's something upsetting them, there's a story that goes with it. We're story-making people. And so you want to find out what is their story. And I used to be a journalist, and we were taught as journalists to ask certain questions like who, what, where, when, why, and how. And so you can ask those questions of your kid to get the story. So just pretend you're a journalist trying to get the story with them. Who's involved? Get the facts. What happened? What happened next? Don't be, don't be afraid to ask for names and uh, till where in your mind you kind of really have a sense of this is really what's happening. This is what's going on. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one circle at a time. So we're going to practice just getting the story. So you're going to break up into pairs, and one of you gets to be an adolescent or a junior higher. How cool is that? How fun is that? And you get to have a junior high problem. And the other person gets to be the counselor, and the counselor is going to ask questions and do some reflecting and maybe some summarizing to try and make sure that they understand the whole story. Any questions about what we're going to do right now with getting the story? No questions? Scary? Does it feel scary? You guys can do it. Okay, so get in pairs, decide who's going to have the junior high problem, high school problem, and who's going to be the counselor, and go ahead and take five minutes. There's cups on your tables, and the cups oh, I'm sorry. have the slips of paper. Each slip of paper is a different scenario. Some scenarios are very, very serious. Some scenarios, maybe we would consider those to be that serious. The whole exercise is doing the... Doesn't matter if it's serious or not so serious, but going through the get the get the story circle. So grab them, grab a partner, two or three, and then you're gonna be good to go. Okay. Hopefully you're uh, enjoying this. It sounds like you're enjoying this actually. Hopefully we had some good stories there that you got. You have a sense of what it's like to get the story now in the first circle. Now we're gonna move to the second circle. Uh, which is called Exploring the Internal World. So the internal world is kind of what's going on inside the mind of your child, what's going on inside. And in the internal world, we have thoughts, we have feelings, and we have meanings. And we're going to look at all those things. And oftentimes we'll find that our kid will be internally conflicted. Uh, there'll be a part of them that wants to go left and a part of them that wants to go right. So we're going to talk about those things. We're going to skip the insight triangle for tonight. I've talked about it with the staff, but we're just for the sake of time, we're going to skip that part of it. And we're just going to focus on thoughts, feelings, and meanings and internal conflict. So how do you get at thoughts, feelings, and meanings? You just simply ask them questions. You just say, for thoughts, you say, well, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts about that? You know, your friends are moving. What do you think about that? You know, um, for feelings, and how do you feel about that? What feelings do you have? What feelings did you experience when you first heard the news? Uh, what feelings did you have when you um, imagine yourself eating lunch by yourself? How would that feel? Um, what feelings would you have if you looked around and you felt like everybody else had somebody to play with and you, or pl not play with, hang out, excuse my language, uh, for child play, for adolescents, hang out. Uh, everybody else had someone to hang out with and you didn't. How did that feel? So these, these are ways to get at feelings and thoughts. 
And then the best way to get at meaning is just simply asking the question, what does that mean to you? So what does it mean that your best friend is now at a different school? What does it mean uh, that this kid um, is bullying your friend? Uh, what does it mean uh, that your parents are fighting all the time? Uh, what, what does it mean that your dog died, you know? What does that mean for you now that you don't have a dog anymore or, or a kitten or something like, or a cat died or something like that? And a lot of times when you ask a question about meaning, you can then follow it up with a second question about meaning. I remember my daughter was really distraught because she took the AP test in art history and she was hoping to get a four or a five. There's five points possible in the AP test. And uh, she got a two. <laughs> and a two is not even passing. Passing is three, four, or five. And she was a sophomore. It was her only AP class that year. And she was devastated by this, too. I mean, she just flipped out. She was crying. She was hysterical, inconsolable, basically, at the outset. And then finally, she ran to her favorite tree and climbed up her tree. And uh, I walked over. Uh, I didn't know where she was, but I figured she was probably at her tree. So I walked over and was talking to her while she was in the tree. And what, Malia, what does this mean, you know? This means that I'm stupid. You know, this means that I'll never get into the college that I want to get into. You know, uh, this means that I'm not as smart as I think I am. Uh, this means that I'm going to be embarrassed in front of all my friends, you know. And, and so what you don't want to say is, that's not true. Don't feel that way, you know. It'll get better, you know. What you want to say is, I can understand that. Tell me what else it means. What, you know, you, and, and then say, and what would that mean? If it, so if you, were, if you were with your friends and you felt embarrassed, what would that mean? You know, um, what would it mean to you if you don't get into the college that you want to get into? In other words, you go into the feelings, you go into the internal world, you don't try and take them out of it. And a lot of parents get very anxious when their kids go to these places where they don't have these particularly great feelings. They're sad, they're upset, they're terrified or whatever. And your anxiety causes you to say, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way, or that's not true, or, you know, um, don't be so glum, or cheer up, or, but you're beautiful, or something like that. You know, you want to stay with wherever they're presenting. You want to be with them, whatever it is they're feeling, and, and uh, whatever meaning they're construing. Even if you don't construe the same meaning, you want to let them know that you understand how they're making that meaning of it, because you know your kid. So asking those questions, what does it mean, how does it feel, and not telling them that they should not, this is a very common mistake, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way. You should be, um, you should see this as a learning experience. You shouldn't be sad, you know? Um, your friends won't uh, think any less of you. Uh, they love you, you know? Um, this, does, this doesn't mean that uh, you won't get into college. You know, you can take the test again. Or, you know, a lot of colleges don't even accept AP scores or something like this. Um, so they don't want to hear something that comes across as don't feel what I feel, don't think what I think, don't make the meaning that I mean, uh, make out of it. That will lower their self-esteem, really, because they'll feel that their perceptions and their thoughts and their feelings are wrong. There's something um, broken about how they process events. Okay, so that's thoughts, feelings, and meanings. And then we get into internal conflict. So what you'll find is a lot of times when someone presents a dilemma, they'll have some sort of a conflict. And sometimes it's a wish versus a fear. Like, um, I want to ask her to homecoming, but I'm afraid she wants to go with somebody else. 
Okay, that's that'd be a common problem. And so then you say, well, you want to give equal airtime to each side of the internal conflict. You don't want to say to them, well, so what are you going to do? What do you really want to do? Do you really want to ask her or not? Well, what they're really saying is, I'm conflicted. There's a part of me that wants to, that wishes to go with her, but there's another part of me that doesn't want to ask her because I'm afraid of what the response will be. And so, you know, my, um, my daughter's applying to colleges right now, and she actually said to me, I don't know that I want to apply to Princeton. And I said, well, why don't you want to apply to Princeton? She goes, I'm afraid that if I get a rejection letter from them, I'll be devastated. And she goes, but I really love Princeton. So she has an internal conflict, right? So she wants to go there. She, she feels really good. She visited the school. She loved it. But then she's afraid that it's too hard for her to get into. She may get rejected. And then if she gets rejected, it, it'll devastate her and she'll fall apart or something like that. So what I don't want to say to her is, that's ridiculous, Malia. You won't fall apart, you know? Um, or Blake, that's ridiculous. You can, ridiculous, you can ask her to homecoming. Um, she'll say yes, I'm sure of it, you know? You want to stay with wherever it is they're at. So you give equal airtime to each side. So I'd say to Malia, um, tell me all about the part of you that wants to go to Princeton. Why, do you, why does that part say, I want to, oh, it's a beautiful campus, it's a prestigious school, uh, it's highly rated, there's great professors, I'll make good friends, you know? And sometimes when you're, when you're doing that, they'll, in, they'll immediately start talking about the other part. They'll say, but I, I don't think I can make it. I said, wait, wait, no, no, no. Just tell me about the part of you that wants to go there first, okay? So you do one at a time, just the wish part first. Then when they finish, this is really important, you say to them, is there anything else that that part is saying, the, that the wish part? Is there anything else that the party that wants to go to Princeton is saying? And then they'll continue to talk, usually, about it. They'll, they'll, there will be more when you say, is there anything else? Then you say, okay, let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the party that doesn't want to go. What is that, or doesn't want to apply, I'm sorry. What is that part saying? Well, it's just afraid of the rejection. Okay, so you're afraid of rejection. What else? Well, it's far away from home. It's 3,000 miles away. Okay, what else? It's cold in the winters. There's snow. Okay, what else? I'll be far away from my family and friends. You know, okay, what else? And, and, and then you don't have to decide. See, parents think, oh, now I need to tell them whether they should apply to Princeton or not. That is not true. We don't have to do that. All we have to say is, okay, Malia, it sounds like you really want to go there for these reasons, and you list them out, but you're afraid to apply for these reasons. Am I understanding you? Yes. And when they say yes, you will see it in their body language. They will actually relax. Yes. Why do they relax? They feel understood. You know, the Bible says understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it. And so they feel understood because they don't know. They just don't know. They're, they're stuck. And you don't have to get them unstuck. You can be with them in their stuckness. That's connection. Now, what's amazing is when you're with them and you make that, we call it an interpretation. It's a summarization of the internal conflict. When you make that interpretation, it's amazing what will happen. They will make a decision. Yesterday I was coming home, and I was giving Malia a hug, and she says, Dad, I made a decision. I'm applying early action to Princeton. Good. That's great. I was trying not to underreact or overreact, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. 
How do you feel about it? I feel good about it, Dad. I feel, I feel good about it. I think it's the right decision. I said, I loved it there. It was a great, I had a good feeling. Me too, you know. So I have students come to my office sometimes, and they'll just talk to me informally uh, during my office hours, and I'll just basically inter- uh, do an interpretation. I'll summarize their internal conflict. And the funny thing is, they'll leave my office, and this is what they'll say to me. Dr. Mendez, thank you for the advice. I didn't give them any advice. I got the story. I asked them how they thought, what they felt, what it meant to them. I pointed out their internal conflict. I summarized it, and that was it. And they say, thank you for the advice. I didn't give them any advice. Okay? What they were saying is, thank you for connecting. That's really what they meant. And again, this is what we're going to try and do. So we're going to practice. We're going to practice drawing out the thoughts, drawing out the feelings, drawing out the meanings, and we're going to see if we can find an internal conflict. Um, And it doesn't have to be a wish versus a fear. It could be just a part versus a part. You know, there's a part of me that... um, wants to play uh, football this year, and there's another part of me that uh, wants to play hockey. And we could say, okay, let's talk all about the part about the part of you, because you can't do both because they're the same season. So tell me all about the part of you that wants to play football. Now tell me all about the part of you that wants to play hockey. This was a dilemma that Blake had this year, his freshman year at Olu. And I just explored both parts, the part that he wanted to play football and the part that he wanted to play hockey. And then he made his own decision. He made his own decision. So we're going to practice this. Uh, where's Justin? Are, are, is Justin? Oh, yeah. Are they using the same scenarios that they got get the story on, or are they using different scenarios? We'll, we'll figure this out. He's getting a mic. Got to preserve my voice. It's, okay. the, mon- it's the moneymaker. Yeah. Uh, there are a ton of scenarios in your cup, okay. so you just forget the old ones. Now you're going to pop brand new ones. Oh, okay. Cool. We're going to get this show on the we road. we do a new scenario. Awesome. So if you're the counselee, try and think of some internal conflict you have about that issue. Like a party you wants to go left and a party you wants to go right. So the counselor can practice, you know, summarizing the internal conflict. If you don't like it, pick another. If you don't think you can find an internal conflict, pick another topic where you think you could be internally conflicted about it. Heck, pick one from your own kids for all I care. We'll just try and practice. Uh, we have 10 minutes, 10 minutes to practice. Okay. Um, you know, I had a really good question, and I want to share it with everybody. It's, you know, if your kid is really disappointed and devastated about something, and you just you don't think that their thinking is really rational, <laughs> you know, do you have to correct their thinking? And I think their thinking will self-correct once they feel connected. So again, I, I'm really into validating whatever it is they're feeling in that moment and not giving them the impression that they please you if they, if they kind of fake a feeling that they think you want them to have rather than share honestly what they're really feeling. And I just, it sounds kind of counterintuitive maybe, and you do get anxious as a parent, some of the things your kids say, but you gotta trust that process that validating where they're at, they'll find their way out of that hole. You know, when you go into that hole and you go into that pit with them and you just explore what the contours of the walls and the floor is like in that pit, you'll be amazed at how they can bring themselves out. Okay, so for the sake of time, uh, we're not going to practice the third stage, but the third stage is very simple. 
it's the intervention stage. And, you know, you hear the word intervention, you think, oh, this is where I get to give advice. This is where I get to give my lecture. This is where I get to tell them, set them straight and tell them how to think right. Not really. The best thing to do in the intervention is to ask your kid, what are your next steps? What are your options? How are you going to move forward? So if Malia is trying to decide on early action Princeton or not, all I need to say to her is, Malia, it sounds like you're stuck. You're not sure whether you want to apply their early action or not. What's your next step? And in fact, I actually asked her that question. And this is what she said to me. You'd be amazed. Your kids actually have answers to these questions. She says, you know what I'm going to do, Dad? I'm going to fill out the application to Stanford. I'm going to fill out the application to Princeton. And the application that I feel the best about, that's the school I'm going to apply early action to. And then all I had to say to her is, that sounds like a good plan. So it's so much better when she comes up with it. She has that autonomy. And autonomy is a big thing for kids this age. And then I can just kind of validate her solution. So intervention is really what it's you asking them, what's your next step? What are your options? Now, there may be some kids that say, I don't know what my next step is. I don't even know what my options are. I have no clue what to do. Help me. Then you help them. Okay, then you help them. You say, well, you could do this, you could do that. I thought about this, I thought about that. So it's not like we totally withhold. It's just that, it's just that we give them a chance first. We give them a chance first. And if they come up, and a lot of times you'll be surprised that what they come up with is really pretty awesome. If they need your help, then help them. If they need options from you, give them options. So you're, it's not like you're completely disallowed in the intervention stage to do that. And you might want to give them information, people that they can talk to. Uh, they can talk to Justin. They can talk to their life group leader. Uh, there might be various ministries that they can plug into and get involved with. Maybe it's talking to a coach or a teacher or a school counselor. Uh, um, get, uh, some website that they can look at. It's fine at that point to do those things. But just be careful about the unsolicited guidance and uh, give your kid the autonomy that they need at that point. Okay, so what we're gonna do now is um, have some time for questions, and the questions don't really have to be about the three circles. Uh, the questions can be about anything in terms of parenting uh, your kid. Your, most of the kids here, I think, are junior high, high school, maybe some children, but any general parenting questions that you might have, now's your opportunity. I don't know if we're gonna float a mic around or not for these questions, or? We are, okay. So we'll float a mic around and we'll take some questions. Hey, if you wanna text a question and you can, if you're like, oh, I don't want anyone to know. Sorry, don't worry about it, here we go. So my daughter comes to me with a problem and then I start doing the getting the facts and I start asking questions and then all of a sudden she'll, she's in sixth grader, she'll flip and say, why are you interrogating me? Why are you asking so many questions? And then yeah. I don't know what to say. Okay, so one of the things I tell my students is don't do an interrogation. So an interrogation is question, they answer, question, they answer, question, they answer. That's an interrogation. What, you, what I tell my students is you wanna weave in reflections. Okay, so you weave in reflections. So you ask a question, you know, how did you feel? I felt embarrassed. And then you don't ask another question like, well, why did you feel embarrassed? You say, so it sounds like you felt embarrassed that you got that low score. And then you stop. When you stop, guess what? They'll continue to talk. 
and they'll say, yeah, my friend's got a four, and I got a two, and I don't know how I'm going to talk to them. And then you can do a reflection. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that when you talk to your friends that got fours and you got twos, that's going to be a really hard conversation for you to have. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And then you say, well, how does that make you feel? Now you ask a question. Okay? So you're right. Nobody wants to be interrogated. And you've got to weave in the reflections. That's the most common mistake my students make is they don't, they, is, uh, they go question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. They're really good at asking questions. They're, they're not so good at reflecting. So just more reflecting will help with that issue. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing as when I have a 13 and a half year old daughter. Mm -hmm. and she's doing the thing where, well, how do you feel? I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel? I don't know. Yeah. So is it okay to give her like a multiple choice? Yes, it is. Okay. So, no, it's totally great. And Because um, I don't want to be like naming her feeling. I used no. to be a journalist, and I'd find if you tell someone how they feel, they'll correct you if you're wrong. Yeah. So you, you first know? give them a chance to share their feelings, and then if they say, I have no idea, then you can give them a multiple choice. There's something we call empathic conjecture. So you're conjecturing, well, if I were in your situation, I might be feeling sad or lonely or depressed, and I'll just start going through the multiple choice, and then they'll say, lonely. That's how I feel. So that's totally fine, especially the younger they are, right? It, it, it takes practice to know what you're feeling and to have feeling words to describe it. And sometimes they'll say, well, I felt like I was a loser, They'll say, I felt that, dot, dot, dot. I felt like, dot, dot, dot. And then what you can do is replace that phrase with a feeling word. Oh, when you felt like a loser, did you feel ashamed? Did you feel embarrassed? And you're teaching them how to translate a phrase like, I felt like, dot, 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 or I felt that, dot, dot, into a feeling word. Because some kids have a really hard time identifying a feeling word, and you want to teach them how to do that. So I felt like he didn't even want to be with me. Oh, you felt rejected. Yeah, I felt rejected. So you can coach them along into what the feeling word is that corresponds to the phrase that they just gave you. Yeah, I, yeah, I made this sound really simple. It's, it's not so simple. Yeah. Hold on a second. Start over. Um, one strategy that might even be in the micro skills and it, I thought of it when you'd mentioned about your daughter saying that she got a two yeah. on that test. And I have, I, I can't think of specific examples with my sixth grader, but a couple times where I felt we connected when I responded, I said, you know what? I remember when I was in seventh grade or eighth grade and yeah, I, I missed all of my, yeah. you know, the whole test I got wrong or yeah. uh, I did really poorly on it. And, and it seems to, I don't want to take it away from her and put it on me, but I also seems like she's connected to that when I, she, oh, really? That happened to you? You missed, you know. Right. So. That's self-disclosure, and that's one of the micro skills. And so you can use self-disclosure to empathize and to let them know that you understand how they're feeling. So, oh, my gosh, I totally get that feeling because I remember when I got a, a two on my first AP test, and I was devastated. I imagine you might be devastated. And then you follow it up with some sort of um, question or something that turns the focus back on them so that they don't just keep asking you questions about your experience because sometimes they may think that you need to talk, that you need to go through a counseling session about your experience. That's great. Hey, this is one that was texted in. Uh, advice for a kid with ADHD, resources, parenting groups, et cetera. What kind of advice do you have? 
Yeah, I, I believe the, the best treatment for ADHD is a combination of psychotherapy from more of a behavioral perspective and medication, both. And so it's a psychological disorder. I'd recommend consulting with a professional like me. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it definitely need, requires professional intervention if you have ADHD. Um, you know, just some basic coping strategies, um, you know, work first, play later, later make a list, have a calendar, ha you know, to-do lists, um, write things down. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of read things three times, you know, uh, don't do what's urgent, do what's important. So there's all these compensatory strategies that you can employ to help with ADHD, but it, it'd probably be good to see a professional. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure nobody else has to deal with disrespect of their child, but how do you, um, offset when they make you try to feel like you're an idiot, like, oh, stupid, oh, you know, nothing, uh, or just basic disobedience. I don't want to do that. Okay, well, um, if it's if it's take out the trash and they say, oh, I don't want to do that, then I say, take out the trash now or you're going to get a consequence. So there's discipline involved if it's a, if something, if it's a chore that they have to do and they're being non-compliant, then you're in the role of parent as authority and you're disciplining them. What I'm talking about today is what I call the role of parent as counselor. So when you have an issue with them because they're not taking out the trash, they're not making their bed, they're not doing their homework, you're in the role of parent as authority, you're disciplining them. When they come to you with an issue and they're not feeling good and they're upset, now you're in the role of counselor. And so as you start talking to them in the role of counselor, if they just kind of you know, roll their eyes or look back, I would just ignore it. And I, as long as they're I don't care what their posture is like, I don't care what the tone of voice is like, but if they're answering my questions and I'm reflecting what they're thinking and feeling and what this means to them and what their internal conflicts are, and they're kind of going along even though their gestures are, you know, kind of like that, I'm happy. I'm not gonna make a comment on their gestures. Great, here's another one over here. Here I come. I just wanted to add to that my son does that. I mean, it's very um, uncomfortable for him and for me, and I just go into ignore mode. He has to, sometimes he covers his face, and, um, but then I get these little notes saying how thankful that I'm there for him, and I'm just so surprised because he's not displaying anything that tells me he wants to talk to me at all. Thank you. And, you know, sometimes the kids will be doing something else, like they'll be playing with their pen or their pencil or they'll be holding their phone. And if you say, you know, put your phone down and look me in the eye and tell me what's bothering you. Oh, my God, that's going to shut them down so fast. Let them play with their phone. As long as they're opening up about their inner world and you're connecting, I don't care if they're like doing somersaults. I'm good with it. You know. All right. What else? Here, we got one that was texted in. So how do you address it if you catch your, your kid lying to you? Do you confront them and how without telling them you saw or know that they lied? So how do you go confront your kid? Should you confront your kid? You found oh. your kid's lying. Yeah, it, it, if know. my kids, if I find out my kid's lying, then I have a problem with my kid. So if I have a problem with my kid, I'm in the role of parent as authority and then I'm gonna discipline. And so I'm gonna say, okay, the rule is always tell the truth. You lied, here's your consequence. You know, 500 sentences, I'll always tell the truth. You know, no PlayStation for the next two weeks or something like that. That's a discipline. It's important to know your role. Am I in the role of disciplinarian right now or I'm in the role of counselor? And um, if you're having a problem with their behavior, 
then you're in the role of disciplinarian. So it's important to differentiate what role you're in at that particular time. So the question is, can't you just talk to them about how they would feel if they were lied to? So I, I have a whole talk on discipline, which is I don't, I don't, and I may be controversial, I probably am controversial on this. I don't reason with kids. I don't lecture kids. I don't have a conversation with them about lying. I just tell them the rule is always tell the truth. Here's your consequence. Don't lie anymore. That's it. N okay. Now, if they have a friend, like Blake came to me and he said, um, this kid on his hockey team tells lies and he doesn't understand why now he's coming to me with an issue now I say oh so what happened what did he lie about I get the story I explore Blake's internal world how did that affect Blake what did he feel about it um, what does he want to do about it you know he has an internal conflict part of me wants to be Thomas's friend because he's a really cool kid part of me doesn't because I can't believe anything he says so if he's talking about another friend that's that's lying then that's he's coming to me as parent as counselor if Blake is telling a lie then I got to be a disciplinarian and I'm not going to uh, try and reason him into good behavior uh, I'm not a fan of reasoning kids into good behavior I'm a fan of consequences all right, there's a text, and this is a really funny one. So I met Jesus when I was in college. Should I, how open should I be with my kid about mistakes that I made or things that I did in high school? Not, not very open. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to lie to your kid, but you can have certain things private. And what I find is parents sometimes glamorize the mistakes that they made and it's almost like the kids are looking up to it and then they'll start making the same mistakes um, in an effort to connect with their parent and so I had a kid who his dad was in gangs and he was glamorizing his gang life and then he would say to his kid but don't you do that you know gangs are bad well his kid joined a gang you know so I think you got to be really careful about how much you share with your kids about your mistakes yeah here's another one with the first circle, the getting the story, what if you blow it right off the bat and don't take it seriously? How do you backtrack to get a healthy conversation going? So you say to your kid, kid, I blew it. I didn't take it seriously. I'm so sorry. I totally misjudged that. Um, if it's important to you, it's important to me. Can we start over? Really good. All right, hold on. I'm coming up there. I'm coming up there. I know there's a baptism at 815, right, Linda? Yeah. Oh, yeah, shoot. I'm supposed to remember that. So at 8.15, which is uh, right now, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you can leave. Your kid's getting baptized. You should if head out that door. Your kid's getting baptized. You can leave. You can go to the baptismal, and they're not going to be there for another five minutes, so you're going to get a jump start on them. So there you go. I, buddy, you're the best. All right, here you go. Uh, this kind of goes along with the last question. Like last night, or when my son came home from school, he said, I almost got in a fight today, and he was angry. And um, my husband and I both freaked out. You know, we don't want you fighting. I mean, just the whole nine yeah, yards. Yeah, overreacting. Yeah. Yeah, and so almost getting a fight is not breaking a rule. Right. And so he's coming to you with the issue, so now you're in the role of parent as counselor. There's nothing to discipline. So you're in the role of counselor. So what you want to do is get the whole story, you want to, how did that make you feel? You know, what, what were you feeling when you wanted to fight this kid? What did this kid say that made you want to fight him? What were you thinking? What did it mean to you? What would it mean to you if you did fight this kid? 
you know? Uh, what do you think your next step is? You know, how do you want to deal with this kid? What are your ideas? You know, so you go through the whole process. So if you blow it, though, and then he doesn't want to talk to you anymore the rest of the night, can you recoup? Like yeah, so you say, you know, yesterday uh, when you talked to me about almost getting a fight, I reacted so poorly to that, and I'm really sorry, and I think I just really blew it now that I think about it, and I think what, I, what I'd really like to do is just talk to you about how you experienced that whole event and what it was that made you want to fight and how you were able to kind of control yourself to not fight, and I just want to understand what that was all about for you, and last night, I really think I overreacted. I'm sorry. I mean, um, isn't it cool being a Christian that we can confess our sins to one another and be healed? That's what the Bible says. Um, I apologize to my kids all the time because I make mistakes all the time. So we, uh, being a good parent is not about being a perfect parent. It's about being good enough, and when you are aware that you've made a mistake, you can apologize to your kid. That's awesome. I don't know about you guys, but my parents never apologized to me. I can't ever remember my mom or dad saying, you know, son, I'm really sorry. You know, it didn't happen. So we can really start a new legacy by apologizing to our kids. And that really heals. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It heals. Things that bothered me became rules, okay? <laughs> always do your chores. Always comply with what I say immediately. Uh, never hit your sister uh, or your brother. Um, no back talking. Um, always say please and thank you. Um, what are some other rules? Uh, put everything away where it belongs immediately. Never borrow or lend things to your brothers or sisters. So things that just tweaked me out all of a sudden became rules and had consequences. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, sorry, quick question. There was any research has been done about those gadgets, the iPad, the iPhone, how many hours that kids that can be in. I don't have a problem with my kid. His score is very high. He know more than me about politics, about president, about everything. But the problem is the time that spent on this gadget it's really you know i thought i'm well i'm feeling that's gonna affect him down the road his eyes vision yeah that's a really good question it's a relevant question because kids spend tons of hours on on devices and tons of hours on social media it's very captivating to them it's very reinforcing um i I'm not aware of any specific research that, you know, certain hours on devices leads to certain pathologies. But, um, you know, common sense in my mind is that, you know, you, you work first and then you get to play. So you do your homework, you do your chores, and then if you have free time, you can go on your device. Um, if I'm feeling that we're not spending enough time together as a family, uh, I might say, okay, um, you have to be off your device by this time because we're going to just have some family time together. So I think common sense and realizing that these things are extremely reinforcing to kids these days. And um, if, you know, it's your value system on, on uh, setting those boundaries. Well, the, there's a lot of positive value in these devices too. The kids learn a lot. 
they they grow, they learn, and and so it's a it's a it's an ancillary, um, uh, it's a new technology that can enhance their learning and even enhance their relationships as long as their relationships are not only virtual relations. They're not only online. They're actually talking to the person. I was so excited because Blake was um, FaceTiming this this girl. He's a freshman in high school, and he's FaceTiming this girl like every night, you know, for like an hour. And I was thinking, is he ever going to see her, you know? <laughs> and we, we were at a football game, and they kind of almost ignored each other at the football game. And then as soon as he got home, they started FaceTiming again, you know? And so I'm like, I, and then he told me that a group of them went to Knott's Berry Farm and she had invited him. So I was happy about that. And then I really got happy. I don't know that my wife was very happy about this, but I was happy when she invited him over to her house to, to meet her new puppy. Because I was happy because they were actually going to talk face to face in person, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an adjunct. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of monitoring. Yeah, that's a very good point. Is I'm a huge fan of monitoring what our kids are doing. That's a good point too. That you know just made me think is you know if they're functioning well, you know they're making good friends, they're doing well in school, they're they're you know. I understand. I don't know the, what the research is saying about that. It's also brand new, you know. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna dedicate the rest of my week to finding some good research articles. I'm gonna thank send you, them the next parent email. It's gonna be awesome. You're gonna love it's it. It's a really common yeah, issue that totally. a lot of parents are dealing with right now. Here's another question, real quick. Uh, how do you generalize this to kids with special needs? So if you have a kid with special needs, how do you go through this? Is there any edits to this? You know, to going through the three circles process, they have special needs. That's a great question. I've never been asked that question. Didn't think about it. But I, you know, I would think that if a kid has a struggle in any of these areas, uh, you would coach them along. You know, if they have trouble um, identifying what they're feeling, we talked about empathic conjecture. If they have trouble identifying an internal conflict, you could say, "Hey, I think you might have an internal conflict." And then, like, what do you mean by that, Dad? Well, I think there's a part of you that wants to be friends with this kid, but a part of you that doesn't. Does that kind of fit? So if a kid's having trouble kind of going through it on their own for processing reasons or, 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 or whatever, their, um, whatever their deficits are, then you can coach them up. I had a question. Um, according to my son, he doesn't have any problems, you know. Uh, I'll ask him, hey, how's it going? You know, I try to, I'm like looking for problems. Like, oh, you know, everything's yeah. fine. Uh, so how, how do I find out what it is? So what I would are? do is um, I would just focus on connecting with your son. Um, and, and, and so I would play with him. 